Welcome to the See Differently Project with your host, Renee Balcom. Over the next hour, you'll learn what you should expect from your care provider and how to take charge of your care needs. Hear from the experts. Now, here's Renee Balcom. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to the See Differently Project. We're excited to have you here today. Um, we have a lot. We have a great show, and I'm so excited about our guest. But I do want to just make certain that everyone understands we want you to call in. This is a show of interaction, so please, um, as you... As we dive into our subject matter today, if something occurs to you and you have a question or a comment or even a story to share with us, we're interested in hearing from our audience. Um, the purpose of the See Differently project is to open up our minds about uh, care and the business of care and how to navigate healthcare and the entire spectrum of care. So uh, the care continuum is very broad and it's everything from managing uh, care providers in our home, whether it's pet care or home care or personal care, all the way to end of life care. So uh, we've got a lot of subjects to cover in our program, but today, I'm so excited about our guest today, and and let me give you share with you a little bit of our journey. Um, I had an opportunity to teach a class at Sac State uh, here in Sacramento, California, under an adult uh, learning program that is called Renaissance Society. Renaissance, right? Right. Thank you, Christy. The Renaissance Society, and Christy was a student. Uh, in my class. And then I had an opportunity to work with, with her and a friend of hers in healthcare advocacy. And then Christy and I have now become friends and we have a, a business relationship together. We're colleagues as well. But more importantly, um, Christy really has an amazing story to share with us today. And we're going to explore a cancer diagnosis and navigating that and the whole process of navigating uh, cancer, cancer treatment, the diagnosis, and what that really looks like. So um, I do want to uh, tell you a little bit about Christy. Um, at 71, she was diagnosed with some abnormalities known as calcifications in her after her annual mammogram. Christy was really facing a journey for her breast cancer treatment. And for those in the audience who've had this experience or a loved one that's had this experience, you know exactly what we're talking about. It's a process. Uh, her story and her journey, though, um, is important in that it's very personal, but she, Christy also made some very unorthodox decisions in her journey. And that's why I wanted her to come and share with us and be on the show today, because I love the way she navigated uh, the situation and the decisions that she ended up, you know, how she got to the decisions she ultimately chose and what the results of that was. So with no further delay, uh, Christy, uh, uh, Brazil, thank you so much for being here with us today, my friend, and we're excited to have you uh, come and tell us about this experience. So welcome, Christy. Thank you for asking me, Renee. I'm happy to share my experience that it might uh, serve someone else at some point in the future as well, too. So, so Christy, I know we've had an opportunity to talk quite a lot, and I'd love for you to share any of your medical experience or your um, 
your involvement with medicine, if any, and how that impacted your approach to your cancer treatment and your therapies? Okay. Um, Well, I can tell you, I don't have any formal medical education, but indirectly, I got one heck of an education from my mom, who was a registered nurse. In fact, she started during World War II working in a surgery up in a hospital in Fairbanks, Alaska. She was part of the Army Nurses Corps. And I I just want to take this opportunity to kind of give a shout out to what she taught me over the years by virtue of her being a registered nurse. She had an extremely comprehensive uh, career where she started off uh, in the Army Nurse Corps, working in the surgery. But then after the war was over, she worked in doctor's offices. She worked in um, as a floor nurse. She worked as a uh, hospice volunteer when hospice was very young. And um, she worked uh, in doctor's offices. As I said, she had a, she worked in a lot of different environments as a nurse. And by virtue of doing so, she kind of relayed to me over the years um, the back back of the house workings of medicine and medical care, and frequently would say that many of the doctors had a God syndrome. Not all of them, but but many of them did. And by virtue of her working in quality control too, she was there to kind of keep her finger on the what's right and what's wrong before it was even popular or uh, as common as it is today. She wasn't a particularly assertive person in her own personal life, but she really taught me the importance of being assertive in my medical care. And early on asked me or, or taught me the importance of being able to get regular mammograms as I was maturing and getting older. And she got them and I got them and we just didn't really question it. Um, and it didn't matter that they weren't particularly comfortable. It was important because they saved lives. And and we both came from a generation where breast cancer early on was practically a death sentence. So having a mammogram was important to be able to keep on top of it. So her her background and what she taught me over the years by virtue of telling me numerous stories of her work life and what happened in medicine made me alert and maybe a little bit cynical too, that I would just say, uh, I don't know, I'm going to question that. I'm not going to take everything at uh, face value and and give it a second thought. So I give her credit for that. Um, she also really taught me more than anything that the doctors don't know a lot of times what to do. They wow, they make I love choices, that. they make choices based on their education, but they also depend on the body being able to heal itself or course correct. And sometimes they work from a wait and see mode. In fact, I remember back in 1980, I had a really bad motorcycle accident and my right leg was completely crushed and it was taking forever to heal. And about nine months into the, the recovery process, the orthopedic surgeon said, well, I think we're going to have to do a bone graft. There's just not enough bone there for it to heal to itself. So we're going to take some bone out of your pelvis and we'll pack it in around the fracture site and that'll give it something to hang on to. 
And I was shocked that this was even an option. And as I was driving home with my mom, I was in tears. And I said, why? Why didn't they tell me this was going to be an option at some point? How come they never brought this up? And she said, well, honey, they they don't know. They don't know what the body's going to do. They can't predict this kind of thing. They just kind of wait to see what's going to happen a lot of the times. And that was another kind of red flag moment for me of, okay, so I... I always have wanted to think and have been taught that doctors know everything and understand the big picture and they don't necessarily. Right. Right. They yeah, I always say you're the smartest person in the room with the doctor. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I was, I have come from over the years with, with the numerous challenges I've had in medicine is that I go in with an open mind and an open, an ear to really listen carefully to whatever the doctor might be saying to me and then give questions back the best I can given the situation um, because I want to understand fully what the big picture is to the best of my ability knowing that they may not even understand to the best of their ability what the big picture is so yeah you know that's great that's great. So, so when you dis- how did you discover exactly that you had breast cancer? Was it through the mammogram? Yes, actually, I went in on June first for my annual mammogram, right on schedule, and uh, got a notification about a week afterwards. They said, "Yeah, you know, we we really need you to come back in and do some additional mammograms." And I wasn't too concerned about it at the time because this had happened one other time, and it had been nothing. So I said, okay, fine. So 1st of July, I went back and uh, had the second mammogram. And as the the technician was doing these variety of different shots of my breast, she said, well, what we're really seeing here is what we call um, calcifications. And, And then she showed me the mammogram. She says, you see right here, these little things that look like kind of starbursts that are kind of shiny. That's what's that's what's showing up, and that's a precursor. And so we're concerned about that. And so she would take a, a number of pictures and then send them to the radiologist that was reviewing them in another room. And and the radiologist would say, "Well, try to get this angle and try to get that angle." And you know, we all it's know torturous, that. right? Torturous. And, and, yeah, mammograms are not anything fun to begin with. And I, why they haven't come up with a different technology, I'll never understand. But. Um, Anyway, so she probably took a dozen or so different shots and then finally said, well, you know, the radiologist really wants to to meet with you. And so go down this room and meet with her in this in this hallway. So that's what I did. The radiologist came in. And I have to tell you, one of the things that's really great about having cell phones now is they have this ability to just hit a record button and record everything that's being said around you. And I use that. That's for you. Because I don't want to have to be concentrating on taking notes. I want to listen and I want to give questions back. So I'm just going to record what's going on because if I want to play it for somebody like you afterwards or somebody else to get some feedback, then I've got it verbatim what's been said. And they were okay with that because a lot of times doctors don't like that. Frankly, I didn't tell her. Okay. And I feel like it's my, it's my body. It's my life. And and I'm going to keep the records I need to keep. So um, I don't imagine they would care a whole bunch. Be- how, uh, if you were taking physical notes, they wouldn't say stop taking notes. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, she she came in. She talked really fast, 
which first of all, is a 71 year old woman, I'm pretty sharp, but you know, I still have trouble hearing and I don't know why they talk so fast sometimes, but she rattled off what they were going to need to do. They needed to do a biopsy to really look at these calcification things. And, and, um, and I said, well, what was that phrase you used again? I didn't quite understand that. She says, we need to do an x-ray targeted biopsy. And I, well, what does that mean? Well, um, we just need to be able to get exactly those calcifications and, and withdraw them. So we're going to put you on um, uh, a table face down with your breast through a hole and the doctor will be underneath that table and we're going to put your breast in a mammogram paddle to hold it solid. And then he's going to give you a local anesthetic in your breast and then extract uh, the calcifications, and then we'll send them to the lab and see what happens. Well, how long is this procedure going to take? Oh, it's not long at all. It's about an hour, you know, but that includes check-in and and the end. And, you know, the actual procedure is probably about a half an hour. And uh, But you have to lay very still when you're on the table. And I have to tell you, Krista, you're literally making my skin crawl right now. <laughs> like It's just know, crazy. I haven't, even, I haven't even got to the so-called good part. And I said, okay. She goes, well, we can do it right now. And it happened to be July 3rd. So there wasn't a lot going on because of the July 4th holiday, or we can have you come back. And I said, well, let's just do it now and get it over with. So they took me into another room and there were two, there was a nurse there and an x-ray tech and, and the doctor came in eventually and said, okay, so this is what you're going to do. You're going to lay down on this table over here and kind of went through the same thing again. And now when you lay down, you can't move at all. I mean, you can't even move your little toe. Okay. Don't move anything. And, um, I said, okay, well, uh, let's go. Well, first of all, if anybody's any women who know about mammograms, when they put the paddles on you and they squeeze your breast down, it's for all of maybe three or four seconds, and then they release the paddles. There was no releasing the paddles because they wanted to keep the breast totally immobile so they could exactly target, you know, where they were going. And um, they finally got me in place, and it was excruciatingly painful, as was the, um, the whole process and the biopsy. To the point of I was squeezing the hand of the radiologist until she had to step away and I was afraid I was going to squeeze it off, but it was it was excruciating. It was brutal. Mm. And why they didn't give me some kind of twilight drug to do this, I'll never know. Right. And they just kept saying, you know, stay still. Now don't don't move. Now be sure and stay still. And I was crying and I was squeezing the hand and um it it felt like a lifetime. When we got all done, I said, how long have you had this procedure? Oh, about 30 years. Of course. Why they haven't modified it, I'll never know. But um, And I have a pretty high threshold of pain. And my mother really taught me not to be a big baby about pain. So, mm-hmm. you know, I could tolerate a lot, but um, it was it was excruciating. And wow. I, had to, I had to sit in the waiting room for probably a half an hour just to kind of calm down and, and get my centeredness about me back before I got in my car and drove home because I didn't know I was going to be doing this in the first place. Wow. wow. So then they, you know, so then they said, oh, and we'll send you the results in about a week. And they did. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, listen, I, I'm a big baby when it comes to a regular mammogram. And, you know, I know how torturous that can be. And like you said, it's only a few, literally a few seconds, right, by the time they uh, get you hooked up and then leave the room to take their picture. So um, I cannot imagine. And I also, as you're describing the story, I also feel that there's a question of your dignity as well right? That there's this sense of lack of dignity and complete lack of control for your personal self um, and your body, which is scary. And, you know, in my opinion, and again, I'm a healthcare advocate, so I'm always going to advocate for my clients. I just feel like in, in today's world of technology, probably not even necessary there should be another approach. We can see a gnat move on Mars. Why are we still doing these kind of tests on women and the amount of brutality that's involved in this testing? So, so Christy, we're going to take a second. We're going to a break. And uh, audience, I hope you're, I know, I know that there are many, many of you that have had this experience and have a story to share. Uh, we're looking forward to your calls. Uh, Christy, when we come back, um, you're going to talk to us about the next part of this journey. And uh, I'm interested in hearing about that. So, so we're going to take a few minutes and take a break and we'll be right back. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The See Differently Project will deliver us out of the echo chamber that we live in and educate and empower our listeners about the business of care. The care industry from cradle to grave encompasses a multitude of service providers. Some of these providers must have licenses and some do not. It depends on the state you reside in. Nonetheless, this multi-trillion dollar industry continues to grow. Money exploited from consumers through this industry in 2022 exceeded $63 billion. Our mission at the See Differently Project is to educate and empower our listeners by bringing guests on who are professional experts in their care field, opening the dialogue, informing our listeners, and answering your questions. You will walk away with a new perspective and empowerment over your care needs. The See Differently Project is hosted by Renee Balcom, the nation's leading healthcare advocate, on Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to the See Differently Project. Have a question for Renee or her guest? 
Join us on the show at 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Now, back to the show. Well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, We're here here with Christy Brazil, and we're talking about uh, a cancer journey that she has experienced actually fairly recently this past summer. Um, Christy has shared uh, the experience of biopsy, and we've already had a little bit of side discussion with some other ladies that are present here about having a similar experience. So, um, you know, it's it's just really a brutal process in in uh, having the biopsy work done. I'm still perplexed about why they don't offer some kind of twilight anesthesia through this procedure. Um, but but I do want to continue on with Christy in this journey. Uh, by the way, just for the audience, you can ask if you're if you're coming uh, up. If you're uh, you're been diagnosed with cancer, they want to find a cancer diagnosis and they want to biopsy you. You can ask for a twilight in the procedure. And I heavily, again, as a healthcare advocate, I've been in the room with clients. I had a 80 plus year old client just recently that they wanted to do this procedure on, and I insisted she would have to have twilight. So you you can ask for that, and you can get you can you can get that. You don't have to endure this biopsy without uh, having some anesthesia that's that's better than a lidocaine at the spot where they're going to do the biopsy. So, um, so just make certain that you do that. So Christy, back to you again. Welcome. Um, we're, I'm, I'm engrossed in your story. So, so tell us what was next. You had completed the biopsy. You're in the waiting room, pu- trying to pull yourself together because you drove yourself, not expecting it to be quite as brutal as uh, the experience was. Um, I, I remember hearing from you that day and how how traumatized uh, that's a big word but literally how traumatized you were by that experience you know again from a physical uh position from an emotional uh level and from a level of dignity that you know you were not prepared whatsoever for the extent of that biopsy and what you would be enduring in that procedure is that a correct summation of that absolutely you know and they and Again, in medicine, they do these kind of procedures and protocols all the time, and they just feel it frequently feels like they're just checking off boxes. Well, we told her about it. We asked her if she had any questions, and that, then we proceeded. We asked her if she was okay uh, while we were doing it, uh, and, and we gave her somebody's hand to squeeze. So, you know, what else is there? Mm-hmm. Even, even the assisting nurse to the to the surgeon said, oh, I know how hard it is. I had this done as well, too. If they ever told me again that I needed to have an X-ray targeted uh, mammogram or biopsy, I would say I would I want the twilight drug. There's no way in hell, excuse my French, but I'm going to do that kind of thing again because it was barbaric. It was yeah. medieval torture as far as I was concerned. Now, all biopsies are not like this. There's some where women just lay on their backs, but mm-hmm. this particular kind of biopsy required those things to happen. And it was excruciating. It's excruciating. So, so what was next? You, I'm assuming 
the next thing they did the biopsy and it was determined that yes, right. we have cancer cells here. So they so they send it to the lab and then I get a uh, an email, I think it was, or a, email. Uh, a week <laughs> later that says, um, yes, it came back positive. You have what's called ductal carcinoma in situ. In situ is Latin for being in a site. And what it was, was um, a cancer that's in the duct. In fact, I'll read this here. It's, um, it's a presence of, an, of abnormal cells inside a milk duct in the breast. It's the earliest form of breast cancer. It's, it's non-invasive because it's not outside the duct. So that's the good news. The additional good news is that it was stage zero. So it was very, very localized. It was malignant, but it was stage zero. So it was something that they could go after easily enough. And the density of my particular breasts are light. So apparently that was helpful as well, too. So then the next thing was for me to meet with the surgeon. And because I wanted an even better recorder in the room, I invited you to go with me to that um appointment and meet with the surgeon, not only to hear what the surgeon had to say, but it kind of helped me evaluate the surgeon. Was this yeah. somebody that I thought I could uh, trust or was I going to ask for a second opinion slash surgeon mm-hmm. to speak to before I had the surgery? So mm-hmm. um, and, and that's what we I did. I want to back up a second. Who actually performed the biopsy? Was that a surgeon as well? Yes. Or it's a, okay. Yes. I was going to say, was yes. it a tech? It Was it a no, it to was, my knowledge, it was a it was a doctor that was surgically trained to do biopsies. Okay, okay, just curious. I, I forgot to mention too, even from the biopsy going home, it was put ice packs on it for the rest of the day, on twenty minutes and off twenty minutes. I mean, that's how much um, pain was in the breast. Yeah. Wow. After that. Yeah. Well, again, it's barbaric and archaic, right? That. Yeah. You know, I I've. I've even from mammograms, um, I've always felt like because it's so torturous for me, I do have very dense breasts that, you know, if I don't have cancer, this procedure is going to give me cancer because how uh, painful it is and the amount of pressure that it's actually putting on my breast tissue. It's like, holy cow. And and I have, a, as you mentioned, I have a high tolerance for pain, but but I've actually almost passed out before because of the pain of the mammogram. We, they had actually had a lump in my breast and they were looking, they wanted to get clearer pictures of it. So when they're actually looking for something, the, the, um, the amount of tissue that they try to get into a very small space. And when you have dense breasts, they're really pulling on this, on the breast tissue. It was very painful. So I cannot even imagine the biopsy. I, I did not elect for a biopsy. So, so So, anyway, so so this, this growth, by the way, was only 1.8 centimeters, which is like 0.7 inches. And I mean, it's, it's, it wasn't that big, the size of a a walnut Mm -hmm. really that they were going to have to extract and mm-hmm. surgery. Okay. So then we met with the surgeon. Right. I remember him. And he brought in the results saying the same thing over again. Yes, you have ductal carcinoma in situ. And he flips the paper over and he starts going through, well, there's two things you can do. You can have a total uh, uh, mastectomy and remove the breast altogether, or you can have a lumpectomy and we can just go after the lump. And here's the pros and cons of a mastectomy. And here's the pros and cons 
of uh, a lumpectomy. And again, it felt like he was just kind of checking off boxes of everything he needed to tell me. He luckily was was pretty personable. We both mm-hmm. commented afterwards that that he was actually one of the nicer bedside mannered trained doctors that we had ever right. met. Right. And um, he didn't didn't feel like he was rushing us, but you know, he said, "So you need to decide what kind of surgery you want. You don't have to decide right now," which was fine. Except I said, "No, I." I'm definitely going with the lumpectomy. I remember when mastectomies were the only thing they did. Yeah. And when they first came out with lumpectomies, my mother said, if you are ever faced with this kind of situation, seriously consider a lumpectomy. You don't need to remove the whole breast just because a little part of it isn't doing very well. And uh, so that was planted in my brain from long ago. Mm -hmm. And um, so as it turns out, then he says, so my... My assistant will be in here and we'll schedule the surgery, which he left. The assistant came in and they scheduled me for surgery in August. So it had been June 1st, July 1st, and all of a sudden, August, I'm ready to go to surgery. And um, one other thing, before I had the appointment with him, they took me down the hall, I think where you were waiting, and they did a SOZO on me, S-O-Z-O measurement, which was a body scan. And they had me take off my shoes and socks and I had to stand on a paddle and and put my hands on another handhold. And they basically send apparently an electrical scan through your body and they're they're checking for potential lymphedema. Mm -hmm. So you're checking your muscle mass, your fat percentage, your body fluid, the protein and mineral content and getting a baseline metabolic rate just in case there's going to be any problem later on with lymph nodes, they want to know what your lymphedema numbers are. um, And that's how they do it. Now you don't feel any electrical current going through you, but you have to stand there for like 35 seconds while they do this scan. And then they say, okay, that's fine. Put your shoes and socks back on. I mean, none of this was really explained well before. Yeah, no, no. Like, and they don't even talk to you about your lymph system, right? They yeah, don't really do spend a lot of time on that. And why? But, you know, you just, they point in a direction and you and you go and do it. I mean, no matter how proactive I try to be, there's still things that amaze me and surprise me in it. And I want to say why. Mm-hmm. But they're just checking off the box. This is what we do. And that sense of being a person that they're treating is frequently lost. Right. And I don't like that. Right. Right. Anyway, and that's... So, And that's really, you know, that's the scariest part of medicine is they have their procedures and their protocols and we tend to fall into that. And, um, and, and as hard as we try to elevate ourselves out of it, every part of the system just pushes us back into being a number, a member number or a, a patient number that's going through their procedure. And because um, I I remember meeting with that doctor and you're right, he was personable. In fact, I ran his background. He was a very, very qualified doctor and had tremendous experience. And he was uh, a chief of surgery, too. That was a little right, bit reassuring. Right, right. But but in some ways, you know, he had done so much of this work. So when we're grateful for that, but in some ways, that's why it becomes so systematic for him right? So the only way that we can elevate ourselves as a human being in the process is just through the questions or, 
or, you know, or diverting or uh, changing, changing the procedure for our benefit. So, um, or the next step for our benefit, but yeah, it's a, it's definitely a process and we kind of get thrown in it kind of like cattle, right? We're just going through where, you know, this, uh, protein matter that's going, <laughs> going through the system. Um, and there's very little, if any, regard for our emotional well-being. Um, I do remember the doctor trying to have a little bit of empathy, but it was, he was struggling. Do you remember that? He was, he, you know, was like, he was friendly and, oh, it's all going to be good. And, but, you know, he, he was struggling with, you know, trying to give you some comfort. So, um, and, and trying to speak with you from an emotional point of view, but, but back to your journey. So, so the next step then was surgery. Right. So they, so they give you a lot of uh, good information ahead of time of what to expect on the surgery. Now, the other thing that's, that's very common now is many of these surgeries where you used to stay in the hospital two or three days, maybe after the surgery is not the protocol anymore. Everything is done as an outpatient, meaning mm -hmm. you go in, you have the work done, and then you go home that day. Yeah. So um, they give a pretty good documentation of, of how to prepare yourself for the surgery and, you know, medication wise, what to take or stop taking so many days ahead of time, et cetera. Um, how to clean the area, et cetera. And then um, how long the surgery is going to take. And then somebody has to drive you there because you're going to be put under anesthetic and they have to drive you home. All the usual kinds of things, if anybody's had those kind of experiences before, but um it was it was just kind of checking all the boxes for me to do the next indicated thing. Um, they have a big outpatient um, surgery center at my particular hospital, and and I got a friend to drive me there who actually has was a retired nurse from the same facility, so she knew the routine quite well, and I felt comfortable and confident with her taking me in. Um, and it. From the time that I check in at the front desk to the time that I lay around in the pre-surgery area and they put IVs on me and, and take my blood pressure and anesthesiologist comes and talks to me and a number of other doctors come in and ask me various questions. Um, it's probably about an hour or so. And then I'm finally being rolled in and already in a twilight kind of place where I don't remember a whole lot. And the next thing I know, I'm waking up in... Uh, in recovery wow. and the nurses frantically putting information into the computer next to my bed and saying, Oh, well, there you are. Welcome back. And, yeah. um, you know, everything's done and you go home and, and just kind of wait for the next results. Well, you know, so what the doctor said they were going to do is take about a walnut size piece of tissue out of my breast, make a two inch incision or so. It's not going to be very, very big. It was on the outside um, of the left breast. And um, we're going to try to get what they call clean margins, meaning an area around whatever the tumor is so that they make sure that they get all of the bad cells, as it were. Um, and 
have a nice clean site that they can extract. But they don't really know for sure until they get the lab results back afterwards whether or not they got it all. But wow. they do their very best to do so. Yeah. And so there's know, no pathology during the procedure. It's just no, everything not after. at all. Okay. And you know, there's a possibility, one of the many contingencies, possibility you may have to come back and we'll have to do surgery again. But we're going to try to get a nice clean margins and get it all. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, you cross your fingers and hope they know what they're doing, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're we're going to pause here, Christy, for a, a break. You know, again, I encourage any of our listeners to call in, uh, share your story, share your feelings about this. And then I have a couple of questions when we come back. I want to talk to you about we, we, I touched really briefly on the emotional side of this and how do you prepare yourself for that? How do you, um, you know, get your mind in the right mindset to be able to, um, you know, step into something like this or do you just kind of go? So I'll be, I'll be interested in hearing your input on that, uh, when we get back and just hearing how, how everything the results and how everything ended up, but we're going to take a quick break. So uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes. Thank you. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Welcome back to the See Differently Project. Have a question for Renee or her guest? Join us on the show at 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, we're here, here with Christy Brazil. And I always say I slaughter your name, Christy. I'm so sorry. It's so beautiful. It's spelled B-R-A-Z-I-E-L. And I just insist on wanting to throw that E in it. And I know it's it's Brazil, 
but I always want to emphasize the E. So excuse me for <laughs> for killing it. But I, mm-hmm. I think I actually make it better, Christy, just so you know. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, so so you are now home um, from this surgery. You've been brought home by your friend who's a nurse. And um, because I know you, I know that you live alone. And I want you to, and, and you and I haven't even had this conversation at all. So I'm curious about that. It, listening to the journey, and as you said, historically, people would stay in a hospital or they may send you to a skilled center to be observed at least for 24 hours, but now people are going home. And for those of us who live alone, um, I'm just curious about that. Like, did you, did you wish you would have had someone come in? Was there, tell us, tell us about that, what that was like for you. Well, I've, I've had a couple of other major surgeries of the motorcycle accident I was talking about. I, I'm, I'm aware that that the first 24 or 48 hours can be kind of foggy and fuzzy. And it's also the time that the, the most kind of probably danger we're in, in terms of infections that can, ha- that can spike or, you know, any kind of other body functions just not working the way they're supposed to because the body's been traumatized. So I asked my friend to stay that day and that night with me. Okay. I wanted her on site with me just be- just in case. And because she was an RN, I, you know, felt confident that she would know what to do or if calling somebody else was going to be necessary. So um, she was ready to do that. I also know after anesthetic that it takes a while um, uh, to come out of it. And even though I hadn't had a a general anesthetic, they'd given me more of a twilight, which I had asked for primarily because of my age. Again, the older you get, the more problematic it can be with a general anesthetic. And I just said, I don't want to remember anything and I don't want to wake up in the middle of it. So just make sure that happens. But if less is more, then I'll take that. And so um, I knew it wasn't going to take me as long to come out of it, but I'm still pretty foggy. And, you know, just walking from the car to my house and sitting down on the couch sometimes can take a lot of effort. And having somebody there watching my every step or holding my arm was was critical to me. So she was absolutely wonderful and very nurse-like and academic, not unlike my mom. Mm-hmm. Who, you know, when you were in real pain, mom could be very comforting. But, you know, if you could help yourself some, she expected you to do that. Mm-hmm. And and so it worked out great. And so I would say, you know, we were home by 1030 in the morning. Wow. About 2.30, o'clock, I was feeling pretty clear-headed and like, I was walking okay to get back and forth to the bathroom and, you know, I could, I could uh, get up and get a drink of water if I needed to. And I told my friend, well, you know, if you, if you don't need to, if you don't want to stay tonight, I think I'm going to be fine. And uh, she says, oh, well, I'll at least stay through dinner. You probably are having something better than I'm having anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, she stayed with me, but um, you know, and after that, and I slept fine that night and, you know, continued, I think with ice packs as needed and um and Tylenol. I I wasn't needing any other kind of heavy duty pain meds. And and again, my I'm in pretty healthy shape for my age, I think, and my body again wants to heal itself. I have to say too that I prepared myself emotionally and mentally for this. The instant I got the diagnosis, I fell back to one of my favorite affirmations given to me by a minister years ago that I've used in everything from trying to find work to trying to find a 
a partner in my life and just by shifting the words around a little bit. And I wrote out this affirmation. And when, when I would tell friends what I was facing and they would say, well, let me know if there's anything I can do. I would say, I'm going to send you an affirmation. And whenever you think of me, say this for me, would you? Mm -hmm. And the affirmation is my right and perfect healing is manifesting now speedily and in divine order. That's great. And whenever I find myself worrying or being concerned or trying to second guess what was going on, I would say it. And if I said that affirmation once, I said it, you know, 200 times between the time that I was diagnosed and the time I went in for surgery. So emotionally, I was in a pretty good place. I also am not somebody that keeps secrets from friends. I don't mm -hmm. feel like I have to protect what's going on with me. I want to share what's going on with me because I want the support. Yeah, I want good. to be able to ask for help. And furthermore, you know, my spiritual life is, I, I would suggest as humbly as I can, it's pretty, pretty evolved. And I'm very active with meditating. I use walking meditations using something called a labyrinth, which is an ancient circular design on the ground or design. You can do it with a handheld labyrinth as well, too. And I walk labyrinths and do meditations. And I invited a group of friends who also walk labyrinths and meditate to meet me the day before the surgery and walk a labyrinth and meditate specifically on the best possible outcome for my surgery. Good that, for you. That all this, all the medical team that was going to take care of me were going to be alert and they were going to be healthy and they were going to be well-informed and educated and they were going to be caring and everything was going to be sanitary and, you know, all the things that go into making a good positive experience. Let's take that energy and just kind of focus it right now as we meditate. And it was so wonderful to have this group of women join me in this journey of, of setting the right intention into the universe, because mm -hmm. I, I am a firm believer that, that we have the power to do that and uh, embrace that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, but you're exactly right. You know, they, um, I, work with lots of clients and I do have clients that don't want their friends and family to know what they're going through. They, they don't want anyone to quote unquote, feel sorry for them or feel like they're losing their independence. So they try to keep it very close to the, to the vest. Um, and I agree with you. I think bringing on that support, that loving support, right. That for the very, people that really yeah. care about you, um, is very, very important. And it's important for us physically. It's for, important for us psychologically. It's in, important for our spirit. You know, we, I'm like you, I believe in the energy and the power of energy in the universe and, um, and that vibration of energy. So if we can elevate that vibration around us, um, our experience is going to be different. Right. And so now, you know, with that said, if we if you do, if there is a friend or someone that's just kind of Debbie Downer or Donald Downer, you know, you may want to temper them a little bit. And but again, I, I think it's OK to be really candid and just say, you know, I don't want that energy around me. If you can't elevate your energy, then, you know, we need to have a little space. And um, as individuals, we know exactly what we need. I'll say it until I'm dead. The smartest person in the room when it comes to medical care is you. You know yourself, you know your body, you know your life, you know the barriers in your life, you know what your possibilities are. And, and 
when you bring that into the appointment with the doctor or into any situation like this and you hang on to it and you're certain of it, um, your ability to navigate the process is so much better. So I encourage people to really, you know, hang on to that about who they are and what they and who they are in the mix and not just assume God love them, but not just assume that the medical providers are the smartest people in the room because they're not. So, so Christy, let's talk about how things are going now. What happened? What's happened? Well, after the surgery and I meet with a surgeon and he says, well, we got it all. It's nice and clean and we feel really good about it. But now you need to talk to the radiation oncologist and the medical oncologist uh, because they are the specialist in those areas for the follow-up. And I said, okay. So I have an appointment to, to talk on the phone with the radio, uh, radio, radiation oncologist, and she calls me. And again, it feels like she's going through the checklist of, well, here's radiation. Here's how it works. You know, here's the side effects. You, your skin will get kind of burned and you'll have to treat that. It won't be very long um, sessions and it won't go for very many days or weeks. But, um, you know, that's how that works. And you have to remember your your lung and your heart are right behind that breast so they could get damaged. But, you know, that's the that's the collateral damage of having radiation. And and the medical um, oncologist will talk to you about taking um, the, the chemicals that you need uh, for follow-up. But uh, together, we know statistically that in 10 years, there's a 19% chance of recurrence of your cancer if you don't do this. So you need to let us know when you can come in because we have about a two-hour uh, protocol you need to go through to prepare you for the radiation. And uh, so do you have any questions? And I said, well, let me ask you this, doctor. If my surgeon says we got it all in the surgery, what exactly are we radiating? Well, she said, there might be a, a cell or two or 10 that are just kind of floating around. And, you know, if they get into your system, then it's going to be um, really bad and the cancer could come back. And I said, so we're going to radiate me where a few cells that might be floating around, which there's probably some other cells in there floating around anyway that are precancerous. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. If it's a 19% chance of recurrence, then if I do the math right, there's an 81% chance it won't recur if we don't do it. Well, well, that would be right, but a lot of people don't like that statistic, she says. And I said, well, look, if I was 41 or 51 or 61, I might do the radiation and live with all of those dreadful side effects and potential damage to my other major organs, but I'm 71. If I live to 81 and it doesn't come back, I'm good. Well, well, okay, well, that's your choice. Well, I'll just have the medical oncologist call you. And that was the end of that conversation. And I hung up and I thought, I felt really good. I thought, yeah, I love it. Total I, empowerment. Yeah. I thought that works for me. I mean, I've known so many women that have had radiation and probably needed it for wherever they were. I'm not judging that. But for me, that just didn't fit. So the yeah. medical oncologist calls me back about three or four days later. And clearly she had either read the notes from the radi uh, radiation oncologist or they had talked. 
And she had, again, went through the checklist. Well, you know, what we recommend is you take this uh, this drug tamoxifen and you do it for five years and you'll have uh, potential vomiting and nausea and and uh, dizziness and maybe diarrhea. And, you know, but this is really good because it'll help go after those bad cells that are floating around. But I understand that you're turning down the radiology, the radiation. And I said, yeah, and, I, and I'm not thinking that I really want to do this either. Well, okay, but you know, you're taking, um, that's, yeah, that's your choice, but it is kind of a chance. Well, I'm, you know, doctor, <laughs> I play craps. I'm, I'm willing to roll the dice and just see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for your time and your information, but I'm going to opt out. Yeah. And I can't be sure because I wasn't looking at them or see their face, their body language with either of these doctors. But I think they were surprised. Oh, yeah. um, just saying, okay, well, let's just get started because that's what you do. I mean, all of us know yeah. that you have cancer, you have surgery, you follow with breast cancer, you follow it up with radiation and uh, chemotherapy, and uh, you know, you just get over it at some point after your yeah. hair falls out. And I could I could care less whether or not my hair fell out, but you know, that's not the reason I'm making that choice. It's like. Yeah. Why do I want to jeopardize my quality of life for a possible few cells that might be floating around? Right, right. And that's, I think that's really the importance of your story. I mean, the story is amazing, but right there, I love that you recognized yourself as an individual in the process, that you did the math, that you decided you were going to go off protocol. And, and to be honest with you, in between now and 10 years, hopefully these, you know, these procedures will change and they'll have other technologies that they're going to use uh, to help in this journey. And it won't be chemo and radiation. And we know science and medicine are starting to really work together in some of that. So, so Christy, we're, we're ending, getting to the end of the show. I appreciate you so much. And I thank you for coming on and talking with us. Um, audience, I hope you have left with some empowerment of your own in hearing from Christy. Um, next week, we have uh, another guest coming in that really has also a compelling story about her cancer journey and uh, her mother's and the, the use of the um, right to die cocktail here in California and what that what that experience really looks like. So uh, thank you everyone for being with us today. We appreciate you. Christy, thank you again. We I appreciate you so much and I appreciate your story and I applaud your individuality. I applaud you for taking control and recognizing that you were the smartest per person in the equation. So uh, kudos you. to you and I hope you have a long, long, healthy life. And uh, thank you, everyone, for hearing us today. Uh, we appreciate you, and we look forward to seeing everyone next week. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the See Differently Project with your host, Renee Balcom. We hope we have given you some insight into the business of care, and we hope you are empowered in your own care needs. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.